It's time to party. This is a no-holds-barred celebration of being alive. America WK with your friend and mine, Andrew WK, on the Blaze Radio Network. Okay, here we are, the 25th episode of America WK. And I am your host, Andrew WK. Wow, gee whiz, I actually almost forgot who I was there, or who I am, who I was and who I am, and hopefully who I will continue to be. It's a very intense feeling. It's an unsettling feeling to realize that you are someone you're able to think, but not recall who you in fact are. I don't know about you, but as we begin this 25th episode, that does remind me of the one and only time in which I actually could not remember who I was. I don't know if you've ever experienced any version of amnesia. And I don't mean uh, a dream state or sometime uh, when you're you know, asleep and not really conscious in the traditional sense at all. I mean, when you're fully conscious and yet not able to remember who you are. In my situation, not only could I not remember my name, basic things like where I was born or who my parents were or where I had come from or what I had done, I couldn't even remember what I was. That I was a human being as opposed to a horse or a small bird that I was even a living being at all. The entire version of being anything had been stripped away. And yet I was still aware, still conscious, still thinking. Couldn't remember that I had ever existed in any version of thought other than that one I was in right there where I couldn't remember anything. I mean, talk about terrifying, but I couldn't even remember what the feeling of terrifying meant enough to even process that. This is a rare state of mind that some people seek out and work very hard at achieving. It goes by many different names, but it's a type of, well, I guess they describe it as pure consciousness, pure thought, a version of pure being, like where you just are. You aren't anything or anyone in particular, you just are. And the understanding is that this mode of thought or this condition of being alive is actually the closest to true being that you can get. And isn't it strange, isn't it remarkable that if that is the case, the truest version of being is the one that has the least going on within it, or in a way the most, but it doesn't have all the trappings that we usually consider making life meaningful, an identity for starters, that there's a purer form of yourself that doesn't even require identity, that doesn't even require what we would consider traditionally uh, as individuality or personality, a history, interests, beliefs, opinions, Uh, connections, family, 
that somehow you do exist as that at all times. But it's so blazingly intense that we don't even know how to think that way. Or even if we would want to. But I did have my brief experience with, with that sensation for about, well, probably only about 30 seconds, I would say. Because I was in such a panic once I realized that I couldn't remember anything, yet was fully there. I began really freaking out and searching and trying to piece things back together. As for starters, myself, I was trying to remember who I was. And perhaps you have had this type of experience before. I've definitely read many shared experiences uh, that people had in common in terms of trying to piece their life back together from a state of bewilderment or blankness like I was in. It's, it's sort of like your life flashing before your eyes, because before I knew it, I was getting bits and pieces of this idea of myself, who my parents were, for example. That came back pretty quick. Well, the first thing that came back was that I was a human. I realized there were other things, other creatures, other beings like me around the room, around the planet, around the surrounding area, and that I was probably one of those too. So that was the first starting point. But I, I, again, I could say that before I remembered that I was human, it really felt like I might as well be anything, that I could have been anything, maybe even a plant or a rock, a mineral or a bacteria. That didn't seem crazy at all. Was I thankful once I remembered that I was a human? Yes, to a degree, but not as much as I would have thought I would have been. And there was a bit of disappointment. I think just in the familiarity, having come from a, a momentary glimpse of total possibility, where I could have been anything or nothing, to then settle on something specific was a bit of a letdown, even though, as far as I know, being human is the best thing that anyone could ever be. And then I remembered the little things that made my life what it was, the things I had done growing up, where I'd grown up, visions, very particular images, like the way my bedroom was set up from age 7 to 10, uh, the shoes next to my bed at night and then putting them on in the morning, the way my bathroom was laid out, the way cars felt when you're riding in them, the way the door frame and the window and the windshield all uh, create this type of uh, scenic surrounding in a car. These were the thoughts and images and memories that I was using to reassemble my life, my identity. I was completely shocked. They weren't the most uh, intense experiences that I had. They weren't the most memorable or what I would have considered the most triumphant or important parts of my life. In many ways, they were very inconsequential, yet deep or, or meaningful in ways that I hadn't ever understood before. And bit by bit, I pieced back together who I was to some degree. And after I remembered all of it, probably about five minutes after having no recollection, I, there was a genuine come down feeling. And I don't mean like a buzzkill feeling, but a real sense of having 
truly experienced some version of more, the moreness of life, and then having that reduced to something very particular, something very specific. And you realize that uh, maybe you really are all of those things. You really are that moreness. You have it inside always, but we just whittle it away or limit our exposure to it because it's just too intense. I don't know if I could stay in that state of not remembering who I was or, or being all that moreness or just existing in a thought that didn't require other thoughts. I don't know what it would be like to feel like that all the time. I, I imagine that if there are folks out there who do feel like that all the time, they're probably considered mentally insane. But maybe they are experiencing uh, a truthfulness in their thought or their perceptions that is in fact less insane than anybody so anyway good thing i remembered who i am now so i can continue this program it's great to be back with you for episode 25 all kinds of stuff i want to talk with you about today very excited to uh to be reconnecting for another week this past week has, uh, as, as always, it seems, uh, had its share of ups and downs. There was moments of pure anger and rage. There was moments of uh, total joy. And, uh, and you know what? I really wouldn't have it any other way. I hope that uh, if you've had those ups and downs, you're able to embrace all of them in some way or another. Not necessarily to encourage any bad times or hard times, but to make the most out of them as we always strive to do here on America WK. Stay with me. I'm very excited to get into these topics today. America WK with your host, Andrew WK, on the Blaze Radio Network. Severin. You could say, you know what? It's frustrating. It's a pain in the ass, but it's probably worth, you know, I hate mentioning it or I'm sorry, I hate admitting it, but it's probably been worth it. And I think that's how I probably feel at the end of the day. But what it's changed into in our lifetimes is an America bashing forum. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Now, the king of partying himself, your friend and mine, Andrew W.K. All right, welcome back, America W.K. This is Andrew W.K., and I am currently on tour. I've been on tour. You know, I'm almost always on tour as a rock and roll musician, as a professional partier, as a humble human trying to navigate life through a celebratory mindset, traveling all about, and I've been in Canada for these past days and wow what a wonderful time of the year to come to Canada I've always enjoyed Canada a great deal of course considering how close it is uh, the proximity to the US and not only the US in general but actually growing up in Michigan 
uh, in southeast Michigan, very close to uh, Ontario, to Windsor, allowed my family and I to take advantage of a lot of great Canadian experiences, even driving as far as Quebec and going to an amusement park there uh, when I was pretty young. Always good times and always an enjoyable uh, travel experience, especially, again, with this crisp early fall air. We talked about the magical powers. I've been speaking to people about that during this this, this trip, and uh, many folks have uh, agreed. Many, many have related to the same idea that there's a sense of possibility when autumn comes. There's an electricity in the air. It's a romantic feeling, even if you're not necessarily following through on it. It's a falling in love with life itself, a rejuvenation that, again, seems to go against this idea that we've been told that spring is the time for rebirth. Spring is the human's encounter with regeneration but perhaps it's spring and fall there is something very stimulating very intriguing uh there's a mysterious quality i think maybe it's fall has that shadowy type of feeling and not just because of halloween but maybe yes the the days are getting shorter we actually do experience more darkness more nighttime spring the days are getting longer So maybe it's the shadowy version of excitement, whereas spring is the uh, light, illuminated version of excitement and inspiration. Either way, it's been fantastic being in Canada. And I've been playing my rock and roll shows. I call them parties. call everything parties, in case you haven't noticed that. And one of the great things about uh, getting to go out and do any sort of, I guess, live event whether it's a performance or a lecture or even an interview or just meeting people in general as you go around in life, is you get to you get to hear what they have to say. And you get to have those thoughts and feelings and questions uh, come at you uh, from other people instead of just from yourself. I'm not a big believer that everyone has to constantly interact with other people or that everybody has to have a lot of friends or a lot of uh, social activity. But there really is an undeniable value to being around someone that isn't yourself. And I talked to a gentleman the other day who was very passionate about the fact that as he put it, that I had saved his life. Now, right off the bat, and we've actually talked about this before on the show on one of our very early episodes, I believe, no matter how much credit someone would give me or anyone else, for that matter, for impacting their life in a positive way or a negative way, for having an influence on their life, uh, and especially to the degree that they could have actually saved one's life, I've always felt very strongly, from my own experience as well, is that, of course, you want to connect with someone who is excited and passionate about the same things that you are. But when it comes to your life, for better or worse, that is all you. And I am not shirking responsibility or turning down what is an extraordinary 
and really over-the-top compliment, which is you know extremely encouraging and also very humbling to hear someone say that, that I've had any kind of positive impact on them. So it is not out of a lack of appreciation or too much modesty, but to really believe and to make it understood to that person that they did it. Don't give me that power. That power came from you. If I was involved in it, I only was involved in showing you or reminding you of the power that you already had. And again, that is the best kind of impact that we can have on each other. We can't do the work for each other. Otherwise, it just doesn't count. Sure, someone can come and perform hard labor that you were supposed to do yourself. And that it can allow you to relax and kick back or do other things. But when it comes to the hard labor of repairing one's soul or enlarging one's mind, that is a labor that can only be done by the person who owns that soul and possesses that mind. It has to be done by you. So this gentleman, I told him, I said, you did it. I was just your cheerleader or your, your coach. I mean, the coach doesn't run the touchdown across the, the uh, goal line there, the end zone. Jeez. The coach makes it possible for these players to do what they are able to do, what they should do. And it wouldn't count if the coach ran out and grabbed the ball and ran it across. So I, I reminded him of that. And I remind you of that. Any inspiration that you find in anything, you know, this show, that would be fantastic. But anywhere, anything, the only way that we are able to identify something that inspires us in something that we encounter, whether it's another person, their work, uh, a place, any phenomenon, the only way we're able to even notice it, let alone to extract value out of it that means something to us, is because that is already inside of us. And we're recognizing it. We're matching up with it. So give yourself credit in that instance. Or give credit to the unknown that's facilitating all of this. But never give the power to some other person. Even if it's a good complementary power. Self-reliance really allows us to do the good work and the hard work, but know that at least it was our work. And not in a selfish way, not in a detached way, but in the only way that really will get the work done. And I also told this, this gentleman, who I think may have been a few years younger than myself, but I reminded him that I'm in the exact same situation that he is. I am searching I am on the same journey. And in that way, we're on it together. And we really are able to support each other on the way. I don't have the answer that he doesn't have. We're both looking for the answers. He's not a bad person. I'm a good person. We're both people trying to become good persons. And in fact, I think the act of truly devoting yourself to becoming a better person is the same as being a better person. Not that you can do it without the hard work, but being in that state 
of focused effort, of commitment to becoming more than you once were. It's America WK. I'll be right back. A party for being alive. This is America WK. With Andrew WK. On the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up today on Patents Do. While she may have had classified emails on a per private server, it, is, it might be a bad thing, but it's not like a malicious thing. It's yeah, like a it's sloppy not. thing, and that's different. I mean, I mean it so doesn't many, speak well of her. There's so many worse things right. I think she that's has the done, issue. and you know it. Hey. Look at the list of 49 people who she and her husband have killed. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to America WK with Andrew WK. Welcome back to America WK. This is Andrew WK. I was thinking about something because when I record our show here, I need silence, obviously. Uh, That's just primarily for the quality of the recording so that it's not uh, cluttered with background noise. So I try to find a quiet space. Now, normally, I prefer background noise, uh, at least when it comes to sleeping or occupying a space in general. Uh, I think this has come from years of traveling and touring and being surrounded by a constant din. Even most of the places I've lived, when I've lived anywhere, they were pretty noisy, like New York City, for example. And even uh, growing up in Michigan, there was a pretty consistent Sound, uh, nature sounds, night bugs, uh, wind, uh, birds. It was never really completely silent. And, of course, cars driving by no matter really where I've ever been. But I do enjoy trying to find that isolated silence when working on music, when recording, when writing, where you really want to be able to hear your own mind. And I was thinking about that, that type of deafening silence. The reason it's hard for me to sleep, for example, in total silence is because then any small microscopic sound stands out amidst the otherwise deafening silence. You can really hear, this is what people describe uh, in their house, they hear strange sounds at night. Now, this phenomenon of your house making sounds at night, why would it make them at night? The idea, of course, behind this is that it's making sounds all the time. You just happen to notice it at night because there's not a lot of distraction in the darkness, especially that the darkness frees up your other senses. So you're not seeing as much to distract you, certainly not doing as much if you're laying in bed, depending on, well, I guess who you're with or what's going on. But if you're just laying there, you really can start to pick out these other sounds. Uh, A bump, a screech, a creak, a groan, a tap, whatever it may be. And your imagination can then enhance them, amplify them, and run away with them. And I was thinking just about that in terms of one's own mind. Like uh, what I'm doing this show with you. You want to be able to sometimes get a deafening silence in your mind so you can hear your own thoughts. I mean, what thoughts 
pop out when there aren't a jumble of other noisy thoughts standing in the way. Now, I am not someone who has extensive experience with meditation, but I don't think that's necessary to be able to just sit and think to oneself, not about anything in particular, but just to be with your own thoughts and let them pop out. It can be rather intense. Sometimes the thoughts that pop out are thoughts you don't necessarily want to pop out. You want to pop them in, pop them back, pop them underneath the other thoughts that you normally dwell on. I've met a lot of people who like to keep their mind really buzzing and busy, full of all kinds of other thoughts, and maybe they're intense in their own way. They don't have to be shallow thoughts, but otherwise occupied, so that these nagging thoughts that they don't want to confront don't have to be dealt with. They get drowned out and pushed away by all the other mental activity. But a fun game, if you have the courage to do it, if you are brave enough, or even someone might say reckless enough or crazy enough to try it, is to try to think about the thoughts you least want to think about. Sit there and see if you have what it takes, like a test or a game, however you want to frame it, and try to think about the stuff that is the least pleasant. Not in a sadistic way, not in a masochistic way, but very personal thoughts, perhaps that you've been avoiding, perhaps that you've been avoiding for an entire lifetime, and see if you can actually give them some attention. Because as often as the case, the way out of these painful thoughts is to go deeper into them, to reckon with them, to create that quiet time to actually just think about them or to have them think about you, to have your thoughts think about you. It's a good game to play. I used to do it as often as uh, I've talked about traveling. Took the bus a lot. Uh, and looking out the bus windows, sort of a city bus or a Greyhound-style bus, sometimes the seating arrangements or just the general atmosphere inside the bus was very intense and sometimes kind of distracting. So I would try to look out the window and focus on some thought that I was really scared to think about. Sometimes it was about myself. Sometimes it was a repressed memory. Sometimes it was a thought about someone else. Sometimes it was a thought I didn't even know I could think. And sometimes I would try to stop thinking the thought. Thoughts about people dying. Thoughts about people who already have died. Thoughts even about my own death. Thoughts that I found myself normally saying, well, I'll just think about that later. Or I don't want to think about that right now. Or there's no reason to think about that. What if I just did think about it? Or not even have to really think about it. I don't need to puzzle over it. But just let it unfold in my mind. Perhaps you're doing that all the time. And I commend you. It's something that I'm always working on. It takes a type of honesty that can be quite painful. For example, one thing I've realized through that type of, I guess, low-pressure thought exercise 
is that there's a lot of game playing going on in my own mind. Looking for drama, escalating situations, trying to uh, assume the worst about people or situations that there was no reason to think about at all, perhaps. Why did I do this? Why was I trying to excite things that otherwise would be quite calm or uneventful? Why was I playing these games? What was I trying to gain from the games? Just distraction? Something to do? Something to put energy towards? I had so many other things that were more worthy of my efforts than these little mind games and riddles and dramas that I was playing out in my head that no one else even really knew about. There was no reason for anyone else to know about them because they were all absurd. Why was I doing this? Do you play any games? How, just how often, if you could think about this, have you escalated a situation? Meaning, have you added emotional intensity or physical intensity or some kind of aggravating contribution to a situation that could otherwise just have resolved itself or not even gotten to the point where resolution would have even been necessary. There wouldn't even have been a situation. Yet, somehow we chose to stir it up. Now, why did we do that? I'm going to make a promise to myself right now. I'm going to start doing this more on this show as well. I'm going to promise myself that any time I catch myself aggravating, escalating, manipulating a situation for the worse, I'm going to try to stop. I promise to stop if I notice it. It's America WK. You're listening to America WK with Andrew WK on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. We are the Democratic Party, okay. not the undemocratic party. Oh, 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 wait, wait. We- you know what that's like? That's like Mystery Men. <laughs> yeah. Remember the movie Mystery Men with Ben Stiller? We're the Democratic Party, not the undemocratic Un- party. If you want to succeed in life, you have to avoid not succeeding in life. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday mornings, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Radio show restoring your faith in humanity through the power of positive partying. This is America WK with Andrew WK. Welcome back to America WK. This is Andrew WK. We've been bouncing around today on our topics a bit. We were just talking about trying to uh, face one's thoughts honestly, to clear out space in the mind so that distracting thoughts, nonsense, and otherwise jarring noise in one's head doesn't overshadow perhaps more intense yet very important or valuable thoughts trying to face those and also discussing uh, making a promise one that I've been thinking about when it comes to making situations worse for no reason if you ever can have the clarity to see two options in front of you one that will be peaceful and 
calm and the other that will be aggravating and chaotic, if there's really no reason to pick one or the, or the other, let's try to pick the peaceful one and really try to do it. The key is to notice it as you ha- uh, have it in front of you. The key is to, to, to realize that there's a choice, to not just go in autopilot and constantly stir up trouble, to escalate things. If there's an easier way to do things, that is usually the more efficient, beautiful way to live. I don't mean easy in terms of resting. I mean an efficient use of this extremely valuable vitality. This limited number of years we have to exist here at all. What do we really want to spend our time doing? Going back and forth in a bunch of drama over nothing. Or actually trying to make something of our lives. So I'm going to promise myself to do better at that. Another promise. And this relates very much to this. Talking about this vitality. This life energy, this thing that is inside of each one of us that somehow keeps us going, keeps us actually physically existing, keeps our heart beating, this life spark. That is the thing we should be most thankful for at all, whatever that is. And uh, we talked about motivation, uh, I think last week, or actually, yeah, yeah, it was last week, I think. And sometimes your body provides such an undeniable spark of this vitality that to fight against it and not move where it's telling you to go is actually harder than just going. At other times, the idea of doing anything at all in the world seems completely impossible. It seems like just getting up off the bed or the couch is more effort than you could ever muster. And looking around at the world, you can't fathom how people built buildings and invented cars and constructed entire cities and towns, let alone wrote entire books, let alone raised entire families, let alone pulled civilization out of the muck and into whatever this version of it is in right now. And that's okay. I have completely accepted that there are times when we are not meant to do anything, at least in the physical realm, that there's times when we are meant to just absorb whatever we've already been through, where our soul and our mind need to do their own restorative work, where it's not necessary to be super busy, to be running around doing all kinds of stuff. We don't have to feel bad about not always being in that state. There are times when it's completely necessary to just exist. But when that spark ignites, when that mysterious vitality surges up and pushes you or inspires you or gives you an idea or a place to go or the motivation and energy to do something that you really want to do or that you should do or that you have needed to do, let us promise ourselves to respond to that vitality, to that spark, to notice it and more or less do whatever it tells us to do, to set aside anything else that would keep us from doing that. 
And I really mean that. I mean, even if you're driving down the road and all of a sudden that, you know, unmissable, undeniable surge of clarity and propulsive power comes over you and you get an idea, some breakthrough thought, some plan, just as though it was being written in your mind by some unseen hand safely pull off the road and write it down or call someone or your answer machine and record it. These are divine moments. No matter what you believe or how you believe they come, they come. And for many of us, we either ignore them, we don't take them seriously, or we just don't follow through all the way when they happen to us. But they are something happening to us. And whether you think they emerge from inside yourself or from some other place, it's probably a combination of both. Let us promise ourselves to not waste those. We might only get a a few of those in a lifetime. Sometimes someone only gets one. But that one gift, that one spark could be enough to inform an entire lifetime of achievement could set someone on a path and fuel them throughout that path and even into the next life. Who knows? These things are powerful. Some people seem to get one of those or multiple of those a day. But if you get it, go for it. And you know it when it comes. Don't be afraid. Just go with it. It's America WK. I'll be right back. This is America WK, hosted by your friend and mine, Andrew WK. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton. He's going to get the Clarence Thomas treatment, if you will. He's going to be treated terribly by the left and by the press and by so many who think that it's necessary to propagate this narrative of, well, if you're black in this country, you have to be a Democrat or else you are a traitor to your own ideals. You're a traitor to your race. This is what is said about people like Clarence Thomas. Buck Sexton, weekdays, noon to 2 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. It's time to party. This is a no-holds-barred celebration of being alive. America WK, with your friend and mine, Andrew WK, on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to America WK. I'm Andrew WK. We were talking about this spark of inspiration, this uncanny moment where something rises in you or descends into you, a gift is given that can inform the rest of your life or inform the next hour. But it comes from someplace else to a degree or however you want to look at it. It certainly doesn't seem to be something you, you can just conjure up on your own. Just will this type of motivation into yourself. It, 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 yeah, I mean, maybe there are people that develop that. I mean, I certainly believe that through discipline, you can push yourself to work when you don't want to or to do things uh, that you don't feel like doing. 
And that's very admirable. But this goes beyond that. This is an idea that you never had before. This is a kind of clarity of vision that you didn't assemble through thought or effort. It just suddenly was there. And when that happens, we basically, we just want to be able to clear away anything that would stop us from following that impulse when it occurs. And at the same time, make ourselves as capable of executing whatever it is we're told to do in that moment. Uh, and that's what we can spend our in-between time doing. I mean, there's a lot of good work to be done just getting ready for when that call comes. And again, it's not always some massive thing. I think, for example, from my own experience, sometimes a song idea, a melody, it just it just happens. The entire thing, from the first note to the last, you just, all of a sudden, I would just hear it. And this is a very common experience for all kinds of music people. Uh, I imagine for painters as well. I mean, I've certainly dabbled in drawing and painting, and sometimes you just see in your head, the painting you want to paint. And you hope at that moment you have some ability to sketch it out or start the painting right there. I have friends who are painters who are extremely disciplined at making sure that when they have the idea, they carry it out right then, no matter what it takes. Sometimes there involves a great sacrifice or they have to sort of abandon something else they're in the midst of. But sometimes it's not even necessarily, again, that overwhelmingly uh, vast of an idea. You could, let's say, you have to paint your house, perhaps. You have to paint the inside of a room, uh, paint the walls and ceilings, and you just really don't feel like doing it. And then all of a sudden, one day, after you've been putting this off, putting this off, and maybe even feeling guilty or bad about putting this off, about procrastinating, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's this energy that tells you, and gives you the ability to paint that room. Go paint the room. When that happens, you have to go paint the room. And you can tell it. When it comes, you can really notice it. All of a sudden, the thing that that seemed like hell suddenly feels like heaven. What is that? That is some type of... That is true inspiration. It's a vision. You can get visions from as small as <laughs> painting a room or even taking out the trash to uh, a vision that's so vast that it informs your entire life. And you literally see, in a brief moment, everything that you're going to do for the next 20 years. I had a moment like that. It's very uh, strange, in fact, because I had already begun doing a lot of what I I'm still doing now. It's around age uh, 20 years old, and I had already been working on recording my first rock and roll album. I had more or less committed to this path that I've continued on all these years later, 16 years later. But uh, a few years in, uh, maybe about uh, two or three years into this path, I had gone home to Michigan, having been living in New York. I was visiting Michigan for the holidays, probably around this time of year, probably around maybe Thanksgiving time, when this palpable, mysterious power is hanging in the shadowy air. And I went uh, to a friend's house uh, who lived 
about 45 minutes away from my parents' house. And had a nice time, and I was driving back alone and stopped at a gas station. Actually, just to get some uh, snacks, I think a candy bar and some kind of, I think, Mountain Dew. I remember this gas station very clearly. It's still there. And I went in, and as I was taking the Mountain Dew out of the refrigerator with that swing-open door in this gas station, I saw what the next 20 years were going to be. It was probably one of the most remarkable experiences I've ever had. And it was so specific and yet so vague that I could tell it wasn't something that I had come up with because it came out of all of a sudden. And some of it I was not surprised by, and some of it I was extremely surprised by. Some of it I was underwhelmed by a little disappointed with. But there was a a vision that this is what's about to happen. This is what will continue to happen after that. And this is sort of how it will all add up in the big picture. And I was very, I don't know, disturbed by that for quite some time. Because I had this idea that I was making up what I did as I went along, that I was deciding what I was going to do. And if I had a vision, it was a vision that I planned out and I designed and I carefully, uh, intricately assembled piece by piece, modifying it, customizing it, editing it as I went. But uh, in that very trivial moment in this gas station, I just saw, okay, well, this is how it's all going to happen. And it was uh, crushing in a way and beautiful in another way. And the strangest part of all is that just I felt very removed from any of it. And I had really prided myself on being in charge of my life in that way. When it came to creative work, when it came to what I wanted to do as a quote unquote career. And in that brief moment, it seemed like it was all out of my hands. Again, in a way that was exciting and in a way that was rather, I don't know, almost sort of humiliating. But I don't mean humiliating in a a negative way, but I felt humility in that I was sort of just being given an assignment. And at that moment, I decided, well, I best just do this assignment as well as I can. And maybe I'll get another one if I'm lucky. I've pretty much reached the end of that vision over these last few years. And I haven't really had another one to send entirely uh, shaped so fully as that one. But I'm ready for it if it chooses to come. If I'm lucky enough to get another one, another chance to have things all laid out like that. Meanwhile, you just keep existing with the hopes that you can receive it when it comes. And when people talk about gifts, when they say, oh, that person has a gift, or I have a gift, or, well, this talent or skill or ability or achievement is a gift, it really is a gift. It is not something that that person had. It was something that person was given. 
And to really be able to believe that and act from that spot, I think is quite empowering. It's rather contradictory or even a little paradoxical because you'd think that the empowerment would come from a sense of complete independence, a sense that you are self-made and that no one, either seen or unseen, has had anything to do with it. But in my case, uh, whatever limited gifts I've been able to receive, I mean, getting to do this show, I consider this a gift. It's not a gift that I made up. It's a chance I was given, if by anybody, by you. I mean, you're here listening. You're here with me. You're making it exist. Maybe in that way, we each are each other's gifts. Because everything I've gotten to do has been because of other people. They were my gifts. And I'm very thankful for that. Thankful for you. It's America WK. I'll be right back. You're listening to America WK with Andrew WK on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. She deserves this. Hillary's going to lose, and Martha ain't never going to be heard from again. I hate that woman. You know, the existence of a delegate derives from whom they represent, good or bad. Look, even if you are associated with a candidate that goes on to lose, you still have a certain status. At least you were a delegate, right? Jay Severin. Weekdays, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. The undisputed king of partying invites you to a no-holds-barred celebration of being alive. This is America WK with Andrew WK. Welcome back. It's America WK. I'm Andrew WK. Today, actually, I, as usual, had one main theme that I had intended to focus the entire episode on. One main topic, and that was going to be individuality and style. And as has often been the case, I got caught up with all these other ideas and thoughts that I wanted to share with you. I'd had this individuality and style topic selected, well, over a week ago. And since then, all these other experiences and events occurred that made me think of certain things I wanted to talk to you about. And I guess like we were discussing earlier in this episode, when those sparks of inspiration come out, I write them down. I stop everything and I write them down and say, I want to talk about this with you on the next episode. And I feel uh, very loyal to that. As we discussed, I take that quite seriously, even if it means sacrificing time for what was meant to be our main topic. But we do have time now. I do want to talk about this concept and uh, hope we can cover some of the basics. And I'll try to uh, not ramble too much so we can stay focused on this idea of style and individuality, individuality and style. Well, first of all, what what is individuality? I mean, it's very obvious. Even a child understands that each person 
is unique to some degree. They may fit an archetype or a classification like a parent. Child has two of those, at least. Or a dad. A child realizes that everyone at some point had or has a dad. Or an animal. A child realizes that there's a whole class of beings that are not like them, that are animals. And so on and so forth. But even a child realizes that no matter how many dads there are, they only have one real biological dad. And they realize that no matter how many other children there are, that there is only one of them. One version of a child that is just like them. Now, there may be exceptions to this if you look at things like uh, twins, if you look at cloning, and other, I'd say, uh, rare situations in which individuality doesn't manifest in the way that we traditionally think of it. But even with identical twins, no matter how similar they may be in so many ways, no matter how many efforts they make to be similar, or anyone makes to be similar with anyone else, there is an undeniable individuality there. And perhaps the most amazing, or even overwhelming, truth is that every single thing in the known universe is individual. Every single thing at all is unique and made up of unique pieces to such a degree that we have to actually simplify it and start grouping them into things that are not individual. Because if we looked at every single thing as, a, as some random abstract object, I don't know if we could navigate reality quite as easily. Well, there'd be no, no way we could, in fact. That's why we have the whole category system. That's why we fit things together. So we can move through this vast, extremely complex mass of individual phenomenon. We look for similarities. We look for things that allow us to relate to them in very generalized ways. And in that is a beautiful sort of clarity. But in that also is an obscuring of the truth. And we could really get into trouble if we overgeneralize about other people and about situations that are inherently complex and unique. And I think we can all understand where the trouble with that lies. We certainly don't like it when people tend to generalize about us because we realize d deep down inside, no matter what anyone else thinks of us, we understand that we are unique. We don't like it when someone makes us part of a group, whether we even like that group or not. We might even identify with that group to some degree, but we still are an individual person within that group. So what is an individual beyond that? Or what makes someone truly an individual? Well, the thing is, again, you can't help but be individual. And with that being said, it does seem that so many of us, and I include myself, we actually not as much make efforts to stand out, but to actually fit in. 
And I don't think that's necessarily such a bad thing because we are inherently individual. So no matter how much we conform or appear to be the same as someone else, it doesn't really matter because we know deep down inside that every single thing and every person is unique. So if they have a similar hairstyle or a similar style of dress or a similar set of interests or a similar way of speaking, that none of that really obscures or masks this screaming individuality that everyone has. In fact, again, maybe that's why we like to relate to one another on things. We like to conform a little bit. We like to get... uh, get along with people by being a little bit like each other because it's so intense when you realize that every single person is completely different in so many ways in ways that we actually can't even really understand because I'll never really know what it's like no matter how hard I try no matter how how, how much empathy I can summon I'll never truly know what it would be like to look out at the world through your eyes what it feels like to be you I can imagine it, I can extend versions of my own experience to perhaps replicate your experience, but I'll never know. And that's overwhelming, and it's frightening, and in a way it's a little sad. Because I want to know. I want to be able to feel that, to feel what you're feeling. Maybe not all the time. But knowing that each of us is isolated in our own world like that, is, it, that's intense. And in a way, it's a little bit painful. So I think we try to ease that pain uh, in the outer world, on the surface, by trying to make ourselves all a little bit alike. To try to find common values. It's a beautiful thing when we're able to find principles that we agree upon and believe in. And maybe that impulse is actually connecting to a deeper truth that despite this inherent individuality and this complexity of everything being unique, that it actually is all just one thing. Inseparable at the end of the day. One big mass of unique parts that make up one entire whole. And that instinct that we have to relate to one another probably comes from a deep subconscious realization of that fact. It's America WK. We're getting into individuality. A party for being alive. This is America WK. With Andrew WK. On the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. That a number of students don't feel American and they feel targeted and singled out by America Day. Of all the crap that you could feel bad about going to school, you know, I see these flags everywhere I go, I just feel targeted. Targeted? You know who's targeted? The kids at the community college in Oregon. That's targeted. That's real. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday mornings, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network.
This is America WK with Andrew WK, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to America WK. It's Andrew WK. We're talking about individuality and style. And I'm not going to try to define style so much. I think we all understand to a degree what it is. It's some, well, supposed to be or thought of as some kind of expression of individuality to a degree. An aesthetic approach to taste, to preference, to opinion. But really, it, it, it goes into a rather mysterious area that cannot be defined. It can only be expressed. And this would be style at what I would call its highest level. And style at this level cannot be replicated by any one person. In this way, each person's style must be individual to truly be their style or to truly, in a way, count as style. Everything else is more of a a decoration, a fashion, uh, a type of display. But style is the material equivalent to the immaterial version of yourself. That's probably the best way I could think of it. Now, I never thought about it like that until more recently. For years and years, when I was younger, I really thought style was just more or less dressing how you thought was cool, talking like you thought was cool, walking the way you thought was cool. And in a way, that, of course, did count as a type of style. But... No particular item of clothing can actually truly express a person's individuality. All it could really do is obscure, in most cases, that person's individuality. No affectation of posture or physical embodiment or other mannerism can really express what it is to be that person can only reflect it. And usually it is a distorted reflection or a bit of a foggy, hazy, blurry reflection. However, if we realize that style in terms of its material trappings actually works to obscure our individuality, then we can, I guess in a way, stop trying to be individual and simply allow it to come out. And it's in this sort of uh, anti-effort that who a person really is can be expressed. It's one of those things you can't seem to try to do. And I think we can all think of examples of when someone tries to be different, when someone tries to be an individual, to try to tries to showcase how much different they are than someone else, they oftentimes end up seeming more like other people than they would have anyway. Because this quality of individuality isn't isn't that easily won or isn't that easily expressed. You can't do it the same way you can do other things. 
you can build the most exquisite, beautiful, huge, gigantic skyscraper and really try to make it a building like no other building exists. And then it will be a big example of architecture that looks like other architecture that was trying not to look like other architecture. And I can think of probably a dozen buildings around the world, some designed by the same person, some designed by others, that were trying very hard not to look like other buildings, and as a result, look like other buildings trying not to look like other buildings. Now, there's nothing wrong with this. It is not meant to be a criticism. This is an observation about how elusive style is when it attempts to express individuality. I think style can express beauty. Style can express excitement and inspiration. But style seems to struggle when it comes to truly expressing who a person is. The best we can hope for, again, is for the style not to stand too much in the way. And to also realize that you can have a lot of fun with clothing, with presentation and appearance, with accoutrements, with accessories, with the way you decorate your life, and not put too much weight on it being an expression of yourself. It might be an expression of a part of yourself, but it doesn't need to be your whole self. Fashion in that way, and clothing especially, it's really just a way to locate somebody in the midst of all these other people. I mean, that's how I've thought about it. It's sort of like a flag or uh, an index marker or a big sign that says, if you're looking for me, I happen to be here. Now, I've used this example many times, and I'll use it again. Santa Claus without going into any of the symbolism that is uh, so richly distributed around and in Santa Claus, we can understand that his red and white outfit is not necessarily the true expression of the individuality of what and who Santa Claus is. Despite the symbolism... But we can say, well, that outfit really helps me recognize Santa Claus and pick him out from a crowd. The white beard, the longer hair, the hat, the accessories like the reindeer, the bag of toys, all of these things help us find Santa Claus when we're looking for him and say, hey, I know that guy. I know who that's supposed to be. But they don't necessarily actually tell us anything about who or what the truth of Santa Claus is. Even the toys, as a toy maker, that's not what he's about. He's about joy. And a red suit with white trim, no matter how delightful it looks, is not the same as joy. And dressing really crazy in some particular way is not the same as being different than other people. You're already different than other people. So really, any thing that we do when it comes to appearance and style should just be for fun because we like it or for any other reason. But if we think our presentation is somehow referencing ourselves, 
or our true inner self, we might want to think twice. Now, that being said, I do believe there are a handful of people, and these are people we can call self-actualized, who are so powerful and whose inner individuality is so fine-tuned and focused that they can actually penetrate and repurpose or inform any item of clothing that they're wearing. They truly make it theirs. It's no longer the fashion designers. It's no longer the part of a style at all. It's no longer the part of, a, of an entire a sensibility. It just becomes them. They could wear anything and still look like themselves. They could dress like anyone else and actually still look even more like themselves. That is rare. You're an individual no matter what you do. It's America WK. Be right back. This is America WK with your friend and mine, Andrew WK. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss Pat and Stu. All mass shootings happen in uh, zones that take legal guns out. Mm-hmm. And all mass shootings end when police show up and bring legal guns back in. That's the only reason they stop. Mm-hmm. It's because guns do stop these things. Force does work. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Radio show restoring your faith in humanity through the power of positive partying. This is America WK with Andrew WK. All right, welcome back to America WK. Went into individuality, went into style. Just remember you're always an individual and so is everyone else, regardless of what efforts we each make to enhance that. They usually only obscure the fact that we're more individual than we can ever express. It's our own sensation of the world. Our own feeling about what it is to be alive. How it feels to be us. That's the root of individuality. And how we deal with that. And to a degree, how we express that. But how we live with that is what shapes what we call our life. It's not about what you believe or what opinions we have. It's about what we actually do that determines the quality of our person. I was thinking about this, uh, saw a quote from a rather controversial but generally highly regarded entertainer that was praised for a quote, and I'm paraphrasing, that said, More or less, I don't care if you're black or white, gay or straight, man or a woman. If you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. As simple as that. And of course, in many ways, that seems like a perfectly reasonable, uh, even kind or positive quote. But I was thinking about it more because something about it just didn't feel right. Or it didn't feel quite maybe dead on. It reminded me of another quote that I see quite a bit. I see it in people's uh, 
biographies, when they're trying to describe themselves, I've actually heard people describing themselves this way in casual conversation, more or less saying that I'm a very kind and wonderful person, but if someone's rude to me or crosses me or disrespects me, I will be a complete monster and their worst nightmare. And they sort of have embraced that uh, approach, this stance uh, when it comes to social interaction. And again, part of me understood that and, and, and could relate to it, of course, as well. But still something about it just didn't seem quite to, to ring quite true. Didn't seem to be as admirable if I was trying to imagine the ultimate uh, point of view or mindset when dealing with other people. And what it seemed like is it shouldn't, if someone's nice to you, that shouldn't be the reason you're nice to them. You should be nice to people because you've decided to be nice to people, whether they're nice to you or not. Anybody can be nice to someone who's being nice to them. That's the easiest thing in the world. The challenge is to be kind to people who don't necessarily deserve it, who don't necessarily treat you kindly, with the hopes that maybe, in fact, your kindness, when they least expect it, will inspire some kind of transformation in their behavior. That you transcend logic of, well, I treat people how they treat me. Well, that means if someone treats you bad and you treat them bad, then nothing gets better. If everyone did that, well, it seems like actually maybe everyone is. If everyone does that, then we're just in constant conflict. Someone has to rise above. Someone has to stop the process of revenge. The tit for tat. Someone has to be bigger or be more, be better. We shouldn't just be nice to people because they're nice to us. We should be nice to people because it's the right thing to do. And who really cares if someone disrespects someone else? I've always been baffled by that. I don't care that much about having someone's respect. First of all, because respect is usually earned to a degree through experience and encounters and a relationship. So I wouldn't expect them to really know enough about me or anyone unless we're very close People who I hope will respect me are my close friends and family in, in those types of situations. So if someone disrespects me, it's probably just because we haven't spent any time together. I, I shouldn't take it that seriously. But if someone isn't nice to me, it's almost more of a reason to, to be nice to them. Or at least to ignore their not-niceness, but not return it. Because that doesn't improve anything. That ensures the continuation of cruelty, of unkindness, and just keeps us stuck in this cycle. The only way to break the cycle is to be nice when there is no reason to be nice. Now, of course, this is not to say that you let someone walk all over you. This is not to say you don't defend yourself when your life or dignity in a real way is being threatened. But it is to say, can we be bigger? Can we be stronger? Do we have the inner conviction to be kind all the time? And not just when someone's kind to us. I've seen it. I've seen it at my best moments I've, when I've really been trying very hard to do this. I've seen it happen. 
where someone maybe was a little rude to me and I didn't really react and just gave them a smile or, and not in a passive aggressive way either, which I've always loved doing, tried to resist that impulse too. And you could see their entire demeanor change. And boy, have people done it to me. I've been in very bad moods and been maybe rude to someone or just certainly not nice to someone. And they were nothing but warm to me. I, I, I was shattered. I was instantly changed. That is how we can save the world. As simple and as hard as that. Thank you for being with me. Stay strong. I love you. This is America WK, hosted by your friend and mine, Andrew WK. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.